Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. So as I'm eating my soup, I bite down on something hard. I thought I broke my tooth. It's like, oh no. And I it ended up being the eyeball. And it, have you ever, have you guys ever eaten an eyeball? I don't think so. It's like, <laughs> well, you have like the, the cornea or whatever. I'm not sure if that's exactly it. I don't know what it is, yeah. but in the very middle, there is like something that's as hard as a diamond in there. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. And like the I went down and like I, I pulled that thing out. I mean, it looks like a massive kidney stone. I don't know. It's just oh. huge. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, Elder Schmidt, he got the eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. It's Jordan and Zach. And today we're joined with Christian Schmid. And if you remember Scott, who told us about his mission in Idaho, Scott, it's good to have you back. <laughs> I wanted to come back, but I knew I had to bring someone with me. He, he did. So, I'm here. So would you mind introducing us to, to Christian, how you know him? All right. So I brought uh, Christian Schmid with me today and we are actually recent friends. So we live in the same ward right now. That's right. And uh, have gotten to know each other a little bit. We taught the Sunday school, 16 year old class together. Oh, nice. And that was a, a, a blessed and sweet few months <laughs> that we shared. It was a ton of fun. And I've heard Christian's testimony a few times. So I know, uh, he's, he has a powerful testimony and, uh, I've learned that he served his mission where he did. I'm, I'll let him talk all about that. And so he popped into my mind of someone who'd be fantastic to have on the show with us. Christian, what was the name of your mission? So the name of the mission was the Democratic Republic of Congo Kinshasa mission. And who was Christian before the mission? How would you describe yourself? So uh, my whole life has been in the church. I I was blessed to be born into a family where my parents were sealed together. Um, I'm the oldest of seven kids. Uh, I was born in San Diego, only lived there long enough to claim I was born there. And (laughs) then uh, my parents moved here to Mesa and the rest of my life has, has been here except for the mission, of course, um, growing up in the church, I was, I consider myself always active. I was always participating in scouts, mutual, um, young men's. And, uh, so serving a mission was, there's, there's no question in my mind that I would be serving a mission. That was like a primary decision. I hope they call me on a mission and yeah. you just had that in your, like I live by that song. I hope they call me on a mission. I was mm-hmm. I looked really, uh, just really looking forward to it. Um, my, my dad's side of the family, um, my Oma and Opa, my dad's parents are, uh, they were converted. They're reached out to when they were in Holland. And so the church is relatively, we're, we're young in the church in the Schmidt side of the family. Um, and then on my mom's side, she's in Ellsworth and you know, oh, yeah. there's, there's tons of Ellsworth, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's like my great, great, great grandfather had like four wives or something. Yeah, we're so, probably <laughs> yeah. yeah. And three of those wives, their names were Marianne. That's a good name. He must've, uh, had a thing for Marianne. Yeah. So, so, uh, so on that side of the family, obviously we've been in the church for like <laughs> basically since the church began. And so, uh, unique background, but growing up is like, you know, no question looking forward to going on a mission and, you know, looking back today, so grateful. I went on a mission, changed my life forever. How, how would you describe your testimony at the beginning of your mission? So preparing for my mission, you know, I thought, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm going to go on a mission. I, I, I believe this church is true. I know this church is true. Um, and I believe that as I got on my mission and you know, when the, you get into the MTC, you got, you start having these interviews uh, <laughs> you did air quotes. You did air quotes. Yeah. Tell us what you mean when you say <laughs> interviews. <laughs> They're basically trying to, you know, Brilliant. are you, are you worthy? Are you, should you be here right now? Um, and then in these interviews, they start really digging into your testimony. And at least that's how I felt in my district. I don't know if it was just my, my branch. That sounds like a unique, ex- that, I did not have that, that experience. I, I kind of had that a little bit. Um, or heck, maybe they were inspired to grill me. I don't know. Like, mm. <laughs> but, uh, in the MTC, I, I quickly discovered that the testimony that I had was what my parents passed on to me, which was good, but I discovered that that wasn't going to carry me through. Um, reading the Book of Mormon, like I had read it, but entirely, no, like I hadn't done that before a mission. 
And so here we're trying to like, you know, learn the Book of Mormon or not learn the Book of Mormon, but understand the Book of Mormon and everything in the MTC and learn French on top of that and then teach it. I started realizing like I, I felt very shallow, just felt like words. I didn't really feel like I was really testifying what I believed. Um, and so just discovering that in the MTC um, gave me this drive to really find my own testimony and not just rely on that of my parents. Um, and, and I, I feel like, I feel like I found it. Um, and, and I loved, it. I felt like I was on fire the rest of my mission just cause I was just so happy that I really believed in, <laughs> in, what you're preaching. In, this, in this crazy thing I'm doing out here in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> so wh where exactly is your mission? So if you look at Africa, kind of goes east, west, and it starts going south. I kind of call that when it starts going south, like the armpit right there. Um, that's towards the top of my mission. Um, it's basically considered central, central Africa. Some parts of my mission are called considered Eastern Africa. There are six countries in my mission. It's the, when I was there, it was a, it was a huge mission. Um, yeah. I looked up the map and it's like everything, I don't know, like east of the Mississippi big or maybe even bigger, maybe west. Like it was a massive mission. Huge. Right. So there are six countries in my mission, uh, at the time it's been split, I think two or three times since o I've left over to the countries. So the Democratic Republic of Congo, the Republic of Congo, I had no idea there were two Congos until my mission call. Um, Gabon, Equatorial Guinea, Central African Republic, and uh, Cameroon. But of those countries, as an American, I was only allowed to serve in two for security reasons. Mm -hmm. And that was the Republic of Congo and the um, Cameroon. And what, what languages were spoken in your mission? Uh, primary languages that the missionary spoke were French and then some English, um, but other country or other, other languages in the region, uh, Portuguese, I think in Gabon, or no, Gabon was French, uh, Equatorial Guinea, um, had some Portuguese and then I think the rest were French, French and English speaking, but yeah. no, I don't, there were, when I was there, there were no missionaries in, um, Equatorial Guinea. Why not? Uh, I don't know. Interesting. I just thought why it was part of our mission. I, I don't know. Um, the whole time you're in your, you're on your mission. There's no missionaries there. Yeah. That I'm aware of. There was a country Gabon was in our mission and it was always like the, the joke, like we would half joke about it, half hope that that would, that country would open up and we'd be the first missionaries in Gabon. And, uh, it almost became a reality for us. It happened like a transfer to after oh, really? my, uh, my, uh, you know, family of elders left. Why, why was it closed for security or was it just um, the church has to come stuff? in and approve the first, the church has to first be accepted okay. um, in a country. Whether, whether or not it has to first be accepted, I don't know, but the, 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 the nation needs to recognize the church. And then I think with that comes some, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for opportunity for the church to actually set up presence in that country gotcha. and start um, proselyting and yeah. growing its membership. And I remember, I think it was Elder Renlund that spoke about the Kinshasa, the people in Kinshasa and how that, how the church was like started there. Yeah. In, Elder in Renlund was actually in the area presidency while I was on my mission. So I, and he, um, for security reasons, I wasn't ever allowed. I never stepped foot in my mission home. And so when they had big old mission conferences, like we were never there. Um, the Americans, <laughs> you know, we were, you know, thousand miles oh, away yeah. in Cameroon. Um, Did you just like remote in like a satellite? Yeah. Most of our interviews were Skype. Wow. Um, wow. Understanding that Renlin made an effort to uh, come and visit the outliers. And so <laughs> we had like a very personable um, zone conference with Elder Renlin. Our zone was eight elders. Um, and so... Jeez. It was, it was really neat, uh, having all the Renlin there. And then just he, the conference when he got called to be an apostle, we're just like, whoa, that's cool. That's our guy. Like my yeah. one picture with him, I'm making a stupid, funny face. <laughs> like, like, oh. yeah. <laughs> uh, so which, which MTC did you go to? Was it Provo? Provo. And then, um, they started towards the end of my mission, starting elder, sending elders to the Ghana MTC. So like, if I were to go now, I would go They'd to go Ghana. Ghana. Yeah. Was there anything special or noteworthy? You talked about finding your own testimony, but anything else about the MTC and your experience there that stood out to you? Um, I feel like missionaries either hated the MTC or, or loved the MTC. I loved it. Um, because just, it was fun being on my own. This was my first like real experience being on my own. I graduated 
I graduated school when I was 17. I had a late birthday, right? So I graduated in May. I turned, um, I turned 18 in June. So I had a whole year. Um, cause it was still, you know, you had to be 19. Before the age change. Yeah. yeah. So I had a whole year. Um, and so I just, I decided to hang tight and I went to MCC. Um, so I was still living at home. So being in the MTC was my first real experience of being on my own. Um, still under some crazy supervision. Right. But, <laughs> uh, I, I loved it. And I was blessed to have, uh, you know, being an awesome district with uh, one of, one of the kids in my district I met, he's from England, Dave Arnold. And we met, we were in the same, uh, EFY group, family, whatever you call it. Years before. Yeah. Like four years before. Oh, right? wow. And we stayed in contact. Um, and cause he has family here. So I saw him like once or twice since, and then we both opened our mission calls around the same time. He was going to France. I was going to, to Congo, but obviously speaking French, they put us in a French district. Yeah, yeah. And we, so That's that awesome. first day in the MTC, we get there. I'm like, Dave, I mean, <laughs> Arnold, <what?" laughs> That's funny. So I was in the MTC for 10 weeks, should have been nine weeks, but because of visa issues, uh, the African missionaries were, we were held back a week. And I, I reported to the MTC on June 29th and, uh, we didn't see a single general authority other than like some kind of like a 70, which is like, you know, great, but like, come on, we want to see, we're in, we're in Provo. We want to see like an apostle or yeah. something. Um, didn't happen. And so like the whole district, we were bummed out. And then we got the news that we were staying an extra week while all, everyone else was, was leaving. Um, and then our, our job at the MTC was to set up chairs, but there was a guy in there who would always like, Hey, you want to get here early? And he would joke around, but like today he was like, no, Hey, get in line early. You want a good seat for this one? We're like, Oh, cool. What is it? Elder Holland's coming. Hmm. Just like, man, of all the apostles, that's who you want, right? Yeah, that yeah, guy, yeah. They're just like smacking the pulpit and everything. <laughs> um, so even though we had to wait a week, it was worth it because we were able to see Elder Holland. And that was awesome. Really cool experience. Awesome. So you leave the MTC and you go to your mission. Like, can you describe whenever I imagine Africa? And it's probably a really dumb question because when people are like, describe America, it's like, well, there's some deserts, there's some green, there's some, like, it's all different. What, how would you describe like geographically what your mission looked like? Um, so <laughs> the, the area that I served in, if you look at like a globe or just like a, like Google maps, and you zoom out all the way and you see the world, that green region, like that tropical, like I was just, it was in, I was in the jungle. Um, and so landing, it's just green everywhere. Um, and we, so we left from Salt Lake, flew to France and then flew from France to Douala, which is the, it's, it's the economic capital of Cameroon, um, right there on the coast. And, uh, it is, that is like the most humidity I've ever felt in my life. Um, coming from Arizona. Yeah. But it's, it's like disgusting. It, <laughs> so it like smacks like, you in the face. Yeah. No. So you, <laughs> you can like feel it so as you're, air. as you're walking off the plane, they have that they have that arm, right. That goes out to the plane uh -huh. and have that gap. Like as soon as you step onto that little extension arm, like you just feel sticky. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you just feel, and it's hot. Uh, so, the, and then the airport itself uh, in Africa, a lot of the buildings, they don't have, they don't seal the buildings, like the windows you'll have like long, big awnings. And then the windows will just be, um, they're always open to let the, let the air in and out or whatever. And so everywhere you go, you just feel this humidity. Um, so we really grew to appreciate like air conditioning, uh, mm -hmm. while we were out there, but I just remember feeling sweaty. Um, and then getting into like the luggage spot, just these, these like new smells. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were just like, Oh my gosh, this is, <laughs> this is bad. Um, it just smelled really bad. And, and I just remember, <laughs> I don't know if this is bad, but just like everyone looks the same. Right. I'm in a sea of black. And I, I'd never seen that before. And it was just like, I stand out like a sore thumb. I'm not seven feet tall, but I'm six, three on my mission. I only met two. I only saw two people that were taller than me. And so I'm just this skinny, tall <laughs> white boy, you know, with a bright white shirt, fresh out of the MTC. You're like an alien. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm still white. Cause I'm basically locked indoors for 10 weeks. And then I get to, uh, you know, I don't yeah, have my mission yeah. tan yet or anything. Mm -hmm. Just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Within five minutes, one of the elders that was uh, pickpocketed, got his camera. Oh, no in. way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Elder Nash. Guy, and he's like the smallest one too. And he's just like, he's, hey, 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 where's my camera? Um, so then we, we finally see the senior couple, the Nuttles, and they're like, guys, come over here. And they're like rushing us to their truck. We're throwing all our luggage in the truck. They're being swarmed by these people. Hey, hey, give us money. We'll load you. We'll get all your bags. Yeah, money. yeah. So in the chaos, that's when Nash lost his camera. And then he just like zooms away in the car. And, uh, yeah, it was just crazy landing. Those are like my first, that's just what I remember. Humidity, smell, 
seeing just a sea of black moments. and just being rushed out of the airport. Yeah. Wow. So you're, you're out and you're teaching and you're, you're trying to preach in a different country, but also in a different language. Were there any words, I guess, what's your best advice for, for learning French or learning a language? So my best advice is advice that was given to me by one of the uh, branch presidency members when I was in the MTC, uh, Brother Mangum. And he said, cause I was struggling with this. Um, everyone else in the district had like previous French experience in school and stuff. Mm. I had Spanish. I wanted to do French in school, Arizona scholastic required two years of language. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I want to do French dad. It's like French, do Spanish, do something. Useful. <laughs> yeah. I opened my mission call. My dad is standing right next to me and I read you, French you and I was like, around. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Like I could have been two years ahead. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, I struggled. Uh, it was really hard for me. Um, and I, it was, it was hard to see the success of others. And then like, cause I was, I, I remember listening to an episode that you guys had talking about, um, how the, in the MTC first day you were teaching investigators, right? Yeah. Um, we were our generation. That was like, we were the guinea pigs. Like we were the beta testers of that, of that thing. So like our first, that summer of 2011 is when they started that. And so like, Hey, we're doing this new thing. Here you go. And we, we, we step into our classrooms and the teacher is only speaking to us in French. Like, like you just want to swear at the guys. Like I got, you're so frustrated. You're like full of emotions. Uh, it was hard. Um, anyways, advice look, uh, only look one day forward and two weeks back. Uh, that that's what really helped me looking one day forward made me realize like, Hey, small and simple steps, right. We'll make progress. And then I look two weeks back and I will see the actual progress I made. Um, and that is something that I stuck with throughout my mission when it came to language. Um, cause you know, six months into the mission, I found myself still struggling and maybe we can talk about that later on, but like really profound experience at six months, but that's a, that's a, some advice I hung on to. And maybe I should still hang on to, I, my French definitely isn't, uh, what it used to be. And I, I wish it was. So in, in learning French and in preaching, what were some words that you might've stumbled on or, or maybe had a hard time communicating? So for those that French is, is, is funky in the sense that a lot of times there's a lot of vowels and you don't really pronounce like the last few vowels in a word. So like we're reading these words, the E A U X. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Home Depot. Right? <laughs> is that French? Home Depot? Depot? I don't know. You don't say the T. You don't say the T at the end. So, but yeah, in instances like that, it's uh, pr- trying to understand what people are saying, but then like trying to look at your book and like, okay, what word, what word did they just say? And you're yeah, it's got to be a long word spelling. or a exactly. short word, but it's like six letters. It's funky. Yeah. Um, when you teach about Heavenly Father, you 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 teach that He has a body of flesh and bone, right? Bone and gold are easily oh, interchanged. Mm-hmm. And so we were teaching our investigator in the MTC and uh, like, yeah, God has a body of flesh and gold. And he just, well, <laughs> uh, how does it, how does it get pronounced? Do Ilan, uh, oh my goodness, I'm spacing. Os and or, those like the two words. Mm-hmm. And we, we mixed it up and he just started laughing. And we're like, well, what do we say? He's like, so your God is, is gold? <laughs> your God is gold? And like, no, no, no. Uh, trying to think of others. Um, we worship a golden. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> what? So, so tell us about the DRC. Like what was, what was the common religion out there? Um, Christianity. Oh really? Yeah. There were like, I'm not even kidding. Like every corner, some kind of small, uh, denomination. Yeah. Small church. And so um, CVSs, they have just churches. seriously. Yeah. yeah. Like, like gas stations we have here. It's, it's a, it's a church. And so finding people to teach was very, easy. Um, finding the right people to teach was hard because a lot of times they just hear Jesus Christ and they think like, yeah, sweet. I, I love Jesus. Let's do this. And even like asking people to be baptized, like for a lot of times, like, yeah, I've, I've been baptized in like three other churches. Like I can be baptized here. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, we, we, it, it was hard finding people that would stick with it keep commitments. Yeah. So in Africa, it is so easy to baptize people. Like if I wanted to, I probably could have had hundreds of baptisms, but that would have done nothing for the church. Um, especially the people that would have been baptized, right. Understanding the covenants that we make, understanding the responsibility that is required by members of the church. Um, and so getting to the mission and as I progressed in my mission and I became like a senior companion and I started making decisions around, Hey, who should we teach? Um, I, I felt like we needed to focus on inactives. 
And so like the first half of my mission, we, we baptized some people, um, but not um, the second half. I didn't baptize nearly as many just because we were focusing on, on those who were once baptized, but had just strengthening. Yeah. Um, so finding the right people was hard, but you know, as missionaries, we'd pray to, to find people who are ready to accept the gospel. And, uh, I feel like, I feel like our prayers Sometimes are answered. the less actives that needed to. Yeah. And that's interesting because the last three people we've interviewed have all been Europe or Eastern Europe. And like, they taught one person yeah. or like one person got baptized. What? I know every mission has some type of like, everyone's going to go through a depression or whatever. And as, as members of the church, I think we have this culture of like, if you're baptizing, you're successful. Mm -hmm. Like this is the definition of success. You should be happy. But I imagine you experienced some depression, some hard times. What, what caused the hard times on your mission? If it wasn't finding people to teach. Some of the most frustrating times were, uh, you're finally progressing with some like solid, someone that's just solid, right? They're reading the book of Mormon. That was a huge, um, milestone. If they were reading the book of Mormon, like 90% of the time, like they were going to get baptized. Like that's just the power of the book of Mormon. Yeah. Right. Um, so we'd have people that are finally progressing like that. And then all out of nowhere, um, Hey, I can't meet with you today. Hey, uh, this popped up just like these silly excuses just seemed like progression just stopped. And that was some of the most frustrating times. Um, seeing like the power of God, like work in these individuals and they recognize it at first. Uh, but then something happens, whether it's an outside influence, they have, um, a lot of people were against the church mainly just because they saw us and they associated it with some like white American church and they didn't want yeah. to give money to the Americans basically. Mm. Oh. And I can, and I can understand like why they would feel that way, especially over there where they're experiencing such crazy poverty. Um, that was a, that was a reality check, man. I got man, a question you know, on that though, real quick. Cause yeah. so, so I served in Brazil and there's a lot of Africans in Rio mm -hmm. and there wasn't that many African-American elders. There were Brazilian elders, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember teaching lessons and, and showing them. I used to walk around with um, like a, I ripped out a page of the, the Leahone or the Ensign that had the, the prophet and the apostles and then the 70. Yeah, I had one of those. And two. I remember showing people. And at the time there was only like two African-American people in yep. there. And they're like, you, yeah, this is a bunch of white people. Yeah. Did you like, did you experience a lot of that? Like a lot of kind of, I don't want to say they thought it was a segregated religion type deal. Yes. Um, and it was funny cause like we would, like, there's, you know, there's no black people in your church and we whip out that page. Like, no, look, there's, there's, there's one right here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I felt bad. Like I, I, I totally understood why, why they were saying that. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. and they, I served in 2011, 2013. So Barack Obama was president and a lot of people were ticked off at the United States, especially Barack Obama, because they assumed with him being African-American that he was going to like be their savior in Africa. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure the United States did, did great things for Africa during that period, but they were expe expecting some huge handout and they didn't see that. Gotcha. Um, and I think that kind of hurt some feelings for people towards us. Um, and so they, some people just didn't like the United States because they associate us with wealth and, and hoarding, hoarding that wealth and not really sharing it. Um, what really helped us though, was bringing in members of the church and ha having them share their testimonies. Um, like some of the most powerful, powerful moments are having those members who for the most part are all first generation, um, members of the church, but then just like dropping this bomb of a testimony on somebody like where like they, the person can't respond. Cause it's just like, we're all just dumbfounded at the, the spirit we're feeling right now and how powerful this simple new testimony is. Um, so we really relied on those, on those members to help us. Um, also when it comes to like, like priesthood and, and African-Americans, right. Mm. Uh, oh, as, yeah. as I was getting ready for my mission, I was kind of nervous. Like, okay, how do I, how do I explain this? How do I help these individuals understand that this isn't a racist church mm -hmm. that God loves um, everybody? I discussed that, I think one time with one person because a member randomly brought it up <laughs> yeah. some, some stupid lesson. Um, I was really surprised at that. Uh, they, they don't care. From my experience with the, with the hundreds of people that I taught, that wasn't an issue. Um, 
they're more focused on their relationship with Heavenly Father now. And that, that was a really cool and really eye-opening thing. That's awesome. That is awesome. So in immersing yourself in the culture, you experienced all these, you know, the, the people, the way they live. Was, was there any foods that maybe you had tried that were new to you or like you had no idea you would ever eat? Yes. <laughs> uh, growing up, I was a very picky eater. Like didn't like cheese. I don't like milk. Whoa. What? Um, like every kid likes cheese. So that's cheese like half my diet. So you let me guess, you ate vegetables and yeah. you, ate, you ate everything. All your par- all the parents are like, what did you do? <laughs> so um, like even when I was younger, I, I was the guy that would take cheese off pizza, put the pepperoni back on, right? I don't I do not do that now. Oh, I don't, I don't. You're my best friend. I'll sit right by you. Yeah, you give, give me that cheese. Um, give me the extra cheese. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, like I, I, I recognize as I was getting ready to, to go to this region, like I, I had friends serving in Philippines. I had an aunt. She's six two. She served in the Philippines. Can you imagine? Oh. She has a picture with the Relief Society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this Anyways, uh, balut, the, that yeah. fermented like yeah. a, a duck or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, You've had yeah, it. you guys were talking about that on one of the yeah. episodes. Um, I was just nervous that I was going to get some crazy crap like that. And but I promised myself, like these people, like they are, they are so proud to have us with them. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to turn down any food. So of course, with that promise came some interesting foods. Um, there was one day we were eating this soup and they just called it like meat soup. Like, Oh, so, so what? Meat soup. What, what, <laughs> what's your what first warning? Like, don't even listen. What, what, is, is meat what, soup. what meat is in here? And then right as I asked that, I leaned over the big old pot and there's like a porcupine leg kind of. Oh, no way. <laughs> so it's like, oh, no. How did you know it was a porcupine? She's it's like, a- oh, it's, it's a, it's a porcupine. It's like, oh, you guys, it's great. I can't wait Porky to eat pig. this. Um, and so as I'm eating my soup, I bite down on something hard. And I thought I broke my tooth. I was like, oh, oh. no. And I it ended up being the eyeball. And it, have you ever, have you guys ever eaten an eyeball? I don't think there so. There is like, <laughs> well, you have like the, the cornea or whatever. I'm not sure if that's exactly it. I don't know what it is, yeah. but in the very middle, there is like something that's as hard as a diamond in there. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. And like the I've been down really and like I, I pulled that thing out. I mean, it looks like a massive kidney stone. I don't know. It's just oh. huge. And it's like, oh, oh yeah. Elder Schmidt, he got the eyeball. It's like, oh, <laughs> man. It's like oh, I'm glad you told me that after. What a treat. <laughs> and then later on, I've been on something else hard. I'm like, what? So I pull it out and I have that massive like porcupine tooth, like that front tooth that you see oh, hanging Oh my goodness. So I, I should have brought it in. I saved it. It's oh, in that's door. awesome. It's you still a, have one? Yeah, it's sitting in my closet. It's like, awesome. it's like a beaver tooth. It's in a, yeah, it's exactly. It's in a <laughs> so little, they, it's like that big. They really put like whole hog in there. Yeah, they they, they just dropped it in anything. there. <laughs> they just like it killed it with a slingshot in the was, backyard. Was that like a common delicacy or? That was the only time I, I, I think I've ever eaten porcupine. Wow. Knowingly. Um, <laughs> Jimmy, who we might talk about later. <laughs> um, remember in Lion King, uh, Simba is with Simone or Timon and Pumbaa. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he's like, hey, grubs. And he lifts that. He yeah, breaks up and you fine. see those. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you see those massive grubs. Mm-hmm. Like exactly what I was eating. <laughs> Somebody pulled out a plate and like I had like curled up caterpillar and one of those massive bugs. And they were, they were dead, fortunately. Like I didn't have to have them moving around in my mouth. But I was like, oh, I promised myself <laughs> and saying, Jimmy knows Jimmy knew. So did they he, like put seasoning on them or anything or no, just, just, straight, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, just straight? Jimmy's just like smiling, looking at me like, Hey, he did other Schmidt. Um, I ate that one thing I didn't eat that I was always scared to eat. Uh, every corner they had a uh, chicken feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, please, please. No one don't serve me this. And fortunately, <laughs> uh, no one did. Tender mercy there. Yeah. Um, beef skin. Mm. Very, very nasty. Beef skin? Yeah, like cow skin. Like they shape. So uh, like so, what you would make leather so, out of? Yeah, so they, they like butcher a cow and then they just boil the skin. So there's like this, you know, hard, hard, rubbery Really? Meat. You're like, you and just, then, there's, you just butchered a cow and you're going to give me the skin yeah. out of all, out I of everything else. I like, like pork and, and yeah, cracklins, South America or, or yeah, cracklins, but they like fry it. Yeah. Never heard of it boiled. That sounds worse. I could just imagine <laughs> eating it. It has like no flavor, but it's just the texture. And then you knowing like what, what it is. That was like, oh. there wasn't like any hair on there. Was there? No. It's like a, it's like leather. eating a couch. If you boiled the leather on that <laughs> chair over there. It, but it's like a quarter of an inch thick. I mean, it was oh like, my goodness. it is, it was kind of gross. You're about the pioneers eating their shoes. Yeah. Boiling know. the shoe and eating it. Did, did we, we got to ask, did you ever see any gorillas? Yes. But not in the wild. 
I saw monkeys in the wild, but no gorillas in the wild, thankfully, because that would that would mess you. I guess that's like a that's an encounter you don't want to have, right? Yeah. <laughs> if we, we if we saw gorillas in the like, yeah, you uh, you're in the wrong You'd be place. in big trouble. Yeah. Um. So Cameroon is a very um, what's the word? Uh, Cameroon has everything, all, all animals, elephants, hippos, um, gorillas. Uh, so in, in camp, I think this was Cameroon. They had a, a preserve where they had chimpanzees and gorillas and we, so they had them in these like large cages, right? Um, you know, not nearly as nice as what they have in the, like the zoo here, but just these big cages and they had these massive gorillas and, um, What's cool with gorillas, I don't know if you've ever heard a gorilla beat its chest. No, just through the glass at the so zoo. When when you go like say hey to someone, you kind of give them that like cupping, like high five grip. I don't know what you call that. Yeah, but like you make clap. That, makes yeah, a little but, pop. Yeah, yeah, you make that pop sound. Mm-hmm. That's the sound that they're making on their chest. And then they're doing that like, you know, so much like stronger this? Like, and louder. Yeah, exactly like that. Really? Then, yeah. But you know, if, if you're ever doing it for a minute, they'd be doing like 240 a minute, right? It's like da-da-da-da-da, these loud pops. It sounds really cool. So there's this one gorilla they had this like, um, in this, uh, in one of the cages there, they had one of these, uh, like telephone poles, like wooden poles that just planted right in the middle of it. And this gorilla, you know, massive 400 pound animal will just fly up this telephone pole. Like I've never seen anything climb <laughs> so fast. Wow. And then he gets to the top and la- like puts his feet down and launches himself straight up <laughs> off of this. So he's already like 50 feet in the air. No way. Then he, <laughs> these things have like a 10 foot vertical. And so he's like 60 feet in the air and he starts pounding his chest in the air. It was one of the, cr- like I have goosebumps right now. It was crazy experiencing. And he lands on the ground. And you know, he just, he just landed right back on the telephone pole. No way. Yeah, <laughs> oh like some, my like, goodness. So coordinated. It was incredible. Um, but he's like, yeah, I just, I was watching that going like, <laughs> you are the superior species. <laughs> yeah. We did not come from you. <laughs> so, so tell us about your mission president. When, when did you first meet your mission president? So Brent Jameson was my mission president and I love president and sister Jameson. Uh, they were in Tempe, Arizona. That's where they're from. That's where, when I first met them, they were in Tempe. Okay. And so I got my mission call. And, uh, a member in the ward grew up this, like she was my mom's age, but she grew up in president Jameson's ward. And so she knew the Jamesons had been to Africa before, specifically the Congo. And she knew that he had a current call to begin as a mission president. She's like, Oh my goodness. Like, Hey, this will be your mission president. And so she put us in contact and I was able to go to their house before both of our missions. And they sat down and they went through like slideshows and, you know, showed me pictures of elders serving over there. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a really neat thing. And that it really started this really sweet, um, relationship. I kind of felt like I had this unique relationship with with president just knowing that like we knew each other before I say knew each, I mean, I had met him before. Um, we're both from Arizona and, uh, it was just, it was a really special thing. And over there at that time, that mission was considered a hardship mission. What is that? So all I know is that instead of a three-year mission, the mission president served for two years. Why? Like what, what requires or what changes a mission or what the requirements are for a hardship mission. I I don't, I'm not sure. I've never heard of that, but his region was massive, right? So he was, he was basically the priesthood authority over six countries. Oh, wow. wow. Um, and so he was traveling all the time. And, uh, so I, I would imagine the side, the region might influence that, but also with it being just the church being so new and like, it was, just, just listening to his stories of, you know, what he had to do in, in managing a mission home, managing the church and everything in those areas, areas was just exhausting. Um, is that an actual church term or is it just kind of, that's what I've heard. Term. That's what I've heard it as. Okay. I've, I, so officially, I don't know. I don't know what, huh, uh, that's crazy. what, what the that. term is. It might be hardship. It might not be, but that's just the but term that the tears. elders have used. Yeah. Um, and so the cool thing is me starting June 29th, mission presidents always start on July 1st, right? So we literally started our missions together and we ended our missions together. That is cool. And, uh, and so coming home, they've done firesides and things here around the Valley and I'll I'll go and show up just to support them. So it's just fun seeing them. But the really cool thing is the church knows just the power of the Jamesons and how influential, not influential. Well, they are influential, but just... They are, they love the Congolese people. Um, 
like that, that is their home. And, uh, the, the, the people just love them and the church reached out to them. The, the, the Kinshasa temple was announced while I was on my mission. That was a really cool experience. That's awesome. Um, and then we got home and then, uh, as the temple came to, uh, you know, be ready to be dedicated, they called president Jameson to be the, the first temple president over there. Wow. So he is back in Congo with the people currently uh, serving, yeah, currently serving with, uh, as, as the temple president, which is in Africa, there aren't, there aren't that many temples, right? There, there's like, there's a, a less than 10, maybe I think like members in my mission had to travel thousands of miles to get to South Africa and to get to Nigeria or to Ghana. Um, but now to have one even closer in the DRC is really like, it was, it was an incredible blessing. Um, and it's, I couldn't be more proud of, of my mission president, see him go back there. And, uh, once again, like help with this very first thing that, that these, these members are experiencing, which is temple worship. That's awesome. Was, was there any, it sounds like, I mean, he sounds like an all-star, the Jameson's, both of them. Was there any lessons that he taught you on your mission that have stood out to you or that you've reflected on after you know coming home? Yes. Um, many, many. Our, our mission was unique in many ways. One way, um, as Americans, we could only serve in, at the time, three cities. Yaoundé, which is the capital of Cameroon. Douala, which is, the, the, we call it the economic capital. It's the, the, the port city, right? Mm -hmm. And then Point Noir, which is uh, in the Republic of Congo. In each city, there were only eight missionaries. So there were 24 of us spread out across these two countries. Is the same 24 all well, I was going to say, does that mean there's 24 missionaries in the mission? No. So the, the mission has like its normal numbers, but the rest, there were like 20 Americans. Then we had four African member, uh, missionaries generally serving with us within those three cities. The rest of like the 220 missionaries wow. were in the regions we couldn't go. The Democratic Republic of so Congo. So you 20 got to know each other real close. You're yeah. rotating the same yeah. areas. Okay. Um, yeah. We knew, we knew everyone, all the Americans at least. Right. Um, and so in each city, there are eight missionaries and a senior couple. So like me and my companion, we had 25% of whatever city we were in, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of intimidating. But with that, with that distance comes trust, like your mission, like president Jameson had to just trust us that we are going to follow the rules that we're going to be good examples of the church, you know, uh, and just and do what was right. Um, one thing I learned was like, we, we have, we have the hand, the white handbook. We have these, these guidelines, right. To help protect us. Um, but he, president Jameson really taught us to, uh, to follow our instinct and follow what we feel the spirit is telling us to do. Um, and so if that kind of took us in a different direction, than your typical handbook would have suggested. I mean, sometimes you're like, yeah, you know what? You probably shouldn't have done that. But there are other times where he would applaud that and he would, he would, he would just be proud that, we sought the inspiration and we tried to do what was best in our situation. Yeah. You stayed out a little later to teach somebody or something like that. Right. That's exactly, yeah. that's exactly it. Um, he sounds like, like that Joseph Smith quote, the teach them correct doctrines and principles and let them govern themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was, I'm just really You hear stories of mission presidents who just drill rules, which, which is like, you need to follow rules. Their, their rules are there to protect you. Mm -hmm. um, but we were in an area where, there's some rules that just didn't make sense for us in Yaoundé. They just didn't make sense. Um, and president Jameson understood that and he left it to us to make the appropriate decision. What, what we felt was appropriate. We would return and return and report. Mm -hmm. Um, and then be counseled on what to do next, whether that was correct or whether we needed to change something up a little bit. It seems like the church has really moved more towards that as far as letting like mission presidents and individual missions adjust mm -hmm. the like white handbook. So, yeah. Yeah. Or what's cultural. What and, now here's and, a, a dumb question. How, how old was the church where you were at in Yonde? Yonde. What's that Yondu? Isn't that like, Dude, a, I, like it's so hard to pronounce when I was in the from the galaxy. galaxy. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's his, uh, I was like, the is that the whistling guy? Yeah. yeah. yeah with the My bad. How, yeah. how uh, was the church there for years and years and years or was it fairly new? So, Ooh, I might give some wrong numbers. Elder Holland was there five years before me, 10 years before me, um, dedicating the country. Oh, wow. Okay. So the church it's fresh. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Okay. So that makes sense in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So, but here, get this, this is incredible. Um, so 
Elder Holland comes in and because uh, at that time he was the apostle that oversaw Africa. I think it's Elder Bednar now. It might be different. It is. Know. It is Elder Bednar. Um, so he comes and he, he, he dedicates Cameroon uh, up at, on this mountain and uh, the oversees this beautiful Yonde is just in the middle of the mountains, hills, red dirt, jungle, just a, he's beautiful view. And he's just announcing, pronouncing these, these beautiful blessings. And he's just, he says, you know, temples will dot this region, like will dot Africa basically. And at the time, um, I can imagine what, you know, some members felt cause they're like, you know, it's, there's like 20 of them, 30 of them. Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not in my life. Of faith. Here we go. Um, so, you know, fast forward five, 10 years, whenever he did that, I'm, I'm there. And at the time in Yaoundé, there were, um, Ikunu one, Ikunu two, Bastos one and Bastos two. Those were the four branches. There was no district. It was just branches. Um, in Douala, they had the same thing except I think they had five, five branches. Um, and that was it. There was no district since my mission, the democratic Republic of Congo Kinshasa mission has since been divided to what I would have served in was it's, it's now the Republic of Congo mission. Well, that was just recently divided. And now there is a Yaoundé Cameroon mission. Wow. And that's just, I've, I came home in 2013. So, so that's showing you how fast the work fast. is like, going. Yeah. A district was made while I was on my mission, which was a huge milestone. But now like Cameroon has its very own mission. So that means there will be 150 missionaries just in Cameroon. How? Like, and Where there even, was eight before. Exactly. Yeah, was, that's insane. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Like it's, that's, uh, I'm, it makes me happy knowing that, like, I know, I know my efforts aren't the cause of that, but I participated in yeah, work sure, that, that led to that. And, and I just, I know that there's members that I, I worked with on an intimate level that are like their leaders over there now. That's awesome. And it's just, it makes me happy knowing that they're seeing amazing progression for sure. What really blows my mind about this and really speaks to that, like, this is a miracle is what you mentioned before that you were left to a large part to your own devices there in that area. And also this is being led by 18, 19 year old boys. (laughs) Like you might feel like a man at the time, but when you reflect, you're like, I was, I was kind of a boy. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's just incredible what the Lord's able to do with us. It is. I look, I look at missionaries now. And like when I first came home from my mission, it was like, oh yeah, hey, elder is like, hey, I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. house. Like, I'll help you out. Um, but now I see missionaries and I just see them as like kids. kids. I still, and like, and I'm not much older than them. Like it's yeah. in reality. Yeah. But it, I, I just see them as these young kids. And so like, just thinking about that, like I was once one of them in the middle of Africa trying to completely different culture, no formal teaching training really, except for like the few weeks here in the MTC. Yeah just trying to make things Brand work and like just teach the gospel. It's kind of, it's cool seeing it's the, the faith <laughs> that, that the savior has in, in 18, 19 year old men and women to uh, yeah. share his work and spread it and everything. Puts a lot of trust in us. Yeah. That's so awesome to be able to witness the growth and see that miracle. What, what were some other miracles that, that you saw on your mission? Uh, I so, guess, or go ahead. We had, we had a special investigator who's now a member. His name was Jimmy. Um, when I landed in Douala, my first area was Yaoundé. So I took a four hour bus trip. Um, scariest moment of my life. Anyways, uh, up to Yaoundé and to Sorry Mission. Whoa, why was it scary? <laughs> you can't just, just roll because, right by that. <laughs> yeah. People ask me all the time, like, hey, what was, what was the scariest thing? You know, they would, was I attacked by gorilla or did I see gorillas <laughs> or was I, you know, did someone try to rob me? Like, yes, people did. But the scariest moment was being on like a big Greyhound bus driving on a two lane highway, like with switchbacks, windy roads and going over these hills and these buses decide to pass a semi truck when the blind corner is literally like a hundred yards in front of us. And we know <laughs> that there could potentially be another bus truck coming the other direction going 60 miles an hour that would just send us off this cliff down into some abyss in the African jungle and no one would ever find us. Like those were, I, I remember just like putting my head down on the seat in front of me and just praying. Like that was legitimately the scariest moment of my life. Really? Or on my mission was like (laughs) these 
stupid bus rides. <laughs> <laughs> so you're on the bus and you're going to Yonde, Yonde. And uh, so I get there, I meet my companion, Elder Lamb, uh, you know, totally inspired to be with him, an incredible guy. Um, and he's like, he starts talking to me about Jimmy, who is his investigator, who he used to be like the captain, captain of their like rugby team, the Cameroon's rugby team. It's like just absolute unit of a guy. <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, cool. Like he's progressing investigator. I was like really excited to start working with like a golden investigator, right? Right off the bat, I have a golden investigator. Um, I meet Jimmy and uh, he's probably six foot, but like his just huge, just solid muscle. Not one of those guys that has like, you know, you know, an eight pack and just huge packs, just like. Just a massive individual. Just a massive individual. And I know like by his handshake, if he wanted to, he could like squeeze me and I would just explode. (laughs) He popped you strong. Um, He owned his own auto shop on the corner of the street and, uh, really cool guy, but he didn't read. He, he wasn't very book smart. Um, the the French that he spoke was just how he heard it by listening. Right. He never had any formal education. And so it was kind of hard, like, Hey, we, we, we need you to read the book of Mormon. Uh, but he's like, I, I can't, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to read. Um, and so elder lamb was like, I promise you, you will learn how to read the book of Mormon or you'll learn how to read if you read the book of Mormon with us. And so our first few lessons, our first quite a few lessons were just simply sitting down with Jimmy and like teaching him, okay, this is a B C, you know, so on and so forth and putting the words together um, and learning French and like, you know, I Nephi haven't been born like just from the very beginning. Um, And he's, he learns, he can read French now. And I feel like, (laughs) you know, these, these two kids from America, it, it wasn't us. Like we did our best, but I feel like that that's once again, the power of, of the Lord being manifested through the, through the book of Mormon. And, um, that was, that was a miracle because Jimmy is, uh, last I heard, he's a, he's a, he's a stalwart saint, like helping, helping the church, um, in a great way over there. Um, on my mission, I, came to rely on priesthood, uh, specifically blessings. Um, you, you, you come across many sick individuals, uh, who just simply can't afford like medical care. Um, they're scared of modern medicine. Uh, there's a lot of weird, like, uh, superstition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I had the opportunity to do tons of blessings, which at first was like, I, <laughs> My first blessing was here right before a mission. It was like when my dad was on a gurney after a heart attack, that was kind oh, of, a, wow. that was kind of a scary moment. But like, other than that, like that was my only blessing um, that I had participated in and specifically given. And so I, I get out on the mission field and, Oh, elder Schmidt, can you, uh, can you give me a blessing? It's like, uh, can I speak <laughs> French? Like, no. <laughs> um, but I read, um, president Monson's is it his, his like biography. Uh, what's it to the, to rescue? the rescue? Yeah. yeah. We're, yeah, man, you, Leland Merrill, you, you read that and you just want to go and bless everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it, this is the one where he's like in a boat, right? No, it and was the, before his, if we're referring to the same story, it's his buddy was really sick. Leland Merrill was sick before Christmas. Leland. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. I thought it was on a boat for some reason. Well, there's just, there's, in the Navy. there's, yeah, there's these, ton, he has tons of stories, right? And not, honestly, most of them we've heard through his conference talks, um, but just seeing them all compiled into one book and just reading experience after experience after experience of him just using the priesthood that he's been given and the authority that he's been given, which we all have to, to bless someone's life. And after reading that, I realized like I need to take full advantage of that. And so every time someone reached out to me, not that I would turn them down before, but I would just be kind of hesitant and just nervous because of like the language barrier. But then I came to realize that language has no barrier. Um, like as long as the intent is there and I'm using the proper authority um, and they have faith in what I'm doing, uh, it was, it was a really cool thing. And so I saw miracles that way. But also like this, this dude, he's like, Hey, I need you to bless my sick sister. Um, and I gave her a blessing of health. And then the next day she died. That was a hard, like, man, <laughs> what am I even doing? Right. That, that was kind of a, that was kind of a sobering moment. Um, but through prayer and, uh, you know, through talking through this individual and, uh, and study, I just came to realize that, you know what, like, we're not, we're not Superman. Everything we do isn't in the end it's the Lord's will. And so it's just a lesson in trying to understand what the Lord's will is and, and moving forward. Um, but even with, with those challenges, um, I, I see it as miracles just in my personal growth, like with my testimony and everything. 
um, being nervous to do things like that to towards the end of the mission, being like on fire and just looking for, for the opportunity to exercise. Um, so you, you talk about that moment from being kind of afraid at the beginning to at the end, like just being on fire and ready to bless and preach to everyone. What was the turning moment in your mission when you're like, I'm here and I'm doing this and I'm going to baptize the world or, or maybe not baptize, but get every active right, member right, that right. we could. Um, there are a few moments, um, but I feel like my, like my pivotal moment came when I fully understood that prayer was real, that like somebody legitimately hears our prayers and seeks to answer our prayers. Um, when I was set apart as a missionary, uh, president tune blessed me with the gift of tongues. And so in my head, I'm thinking like, sweet, got this in the bag. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. get the MTC. It's like, okay, this is a lot harder than I expected, but everyone kind of struggles in the MTC. So I got into the mission field I'm working with elder lamb for three transfers. And then I get uh, a new companion, elder Peaster, um, and we're, and we're working, we're working and together we work really well, but I just, I found myself struggling with the language. And there was one day as like right around my six month mark. So like around Christmas time, I'm already kind of struggling. It's my first Christmas away from home. Um, and like at the end of the day, we're going over all these lessons we had. And I'm just like, just ticked at myself. Cause I did not understand a single word that was said to me. And I could not express any feelings that I had in my heart. Right. So imagine like I'm already like 25% done with my mission and I'm still struggling with this stupid, just communicating. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what the heck, what the heck? Like uh, gift of tongues. Where, where are you? Mm-hmm. Um, at that time I was reading infinite atonement, uh, president Jameson let us yeah. read books, right? Uh, it's a heavy book. Yeah. But holy, like that thing changed my life because I read it at a time where I was ready to understand something. And there's a chapter in there where uh, they're talking about spiritual gifts. And I can't remember who he was quoting, but the guy basically said like one of the most abundant promises that exists in scriptures, in our canon is ask and you shall receive, right? We see that in the Bible. We see it in the book of Mormon, Dr. God, like we see it everywhere. And he's like, but it, it blows my mind how people don't take advantage of that. And he was talking in reference to spiritual gifts. Like, are you struggling with this? Ask for that gift and have faith that you'll get it. And then I, I just, I, my mind was blown. I was like, holy, like I have not specifically prayed and asked for the gift of tongues. So that night when I got on my knees, I, I, I prayed and asked, like, will you please bless me with the gift of tongues the very next day. And from then after I could say every single thing that came to my mind. And I understood every single thing that was said to me. It was just, it was an incredible moment. And and I'm not exaggerating. It was night and day. Um, and at that moment I started realizing like, Hey, this is like, that's when my testimony really started coming together. I had already started growing from the MTC, but it was at that moment where it's, I know I am being listened to. I know that my needs are being looked after by someone. And uh, that kind of gave me the faith to keep on plugging along, right? Mission isn't easy, but uh, I, I knew that someone was there for me. I got a question on that. And we've talked about it in some other episodes. Have you, since your mission, mission has ended and you've gotten married, have you ever looked back at that one night and being like, look, have you ever called on that as a testimony builder, you know, throughout your life? Definitely. Um, I find myself like when we were, when, when Scott and I were in Sunday school together, um, and I was, and I would be in a situation where I like, I, I wanted to share my testimony. A lot of the times I was falling back on experiences that I had on my mission. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I've experienced, not that I don't have experiences now. I mean, like, I'm married. I have two kids. Like, uh, I have, I have beautiful experiences now, but I feel like a lot of where my testimony grew and flourished and put me to where I am today happened on my mission. So I find myself falling back to those experiences yeah, that sure. really helped it, you know, blow up. Um, but I, I, I find myself constantly like going back to the mission and I feel kind of funny because sometimes I, I feel like I'm always saying back on my mission. Yeah. This, 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 oh, right? I, we get it. Um, I think that's why kind of interrupting. I think that's why the, part of the podcast, why it started is we refer so much back to our missions 
And it's like, all right, dude, like you talked about your mission the other day. Like, can you talk about something else? It's like, no, like keep talking about your mission. Yeah, Don't totally. forget those experiences. Like those are spiritual anchors that you need to hold on to the rest of your life. Yeah. We had my dad in here and he served 45 years ago and he's still referring back to my mission. It's like, yeah. that's well, awesome. And the reason why I ask is because there's been experiences on my mission that I go back to because my faith has been rocked or, sh you know, shake it. Yeah. And I'm like, look, I can't, I can't deny what happened to me. Just like you can't deny that somebody heard your prayers and, and blessed you with the gift of tongues. Right. And I think that's, you know, a lot of missionaries who come home might fall into a little funk, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and you, you can go one of two ways. You can stick with it and remember and, and look back on those things that strengthened your testimony. Or you can forget it all and choose to go another way. So definitely. I, I definitely, I, I find myself all the time looking back and I think it's fun to, you know, like Jordan was saying, we talk about it all the time, but it's like, yeah, that, that is who, that is what made me who I am. Mm -hmm. That happened and I won't forget it. Yeah. I can't deny that it happened. So you, uh, pre-missionaries out there who are, you know, <laughs> hoping to go on a mission, this is just a extra reminder to take pictures and write in your journal and record these experiences. Oh, yeah, definitely. Jordan, That's one you, thing I wish I did better. You, you know, asked me a little while ago to send you pictures and I'll tell you, I haven't looked through those pictures since my mission. And so to go through it, I was like, holy cow. It was a flood of memories. So much yeah. I had forgotten. And so, yeah, I record uh, that stuff. Another, some good, I know you asked this a while back, um, advice. Um, right before my mission, we had uh, an elder from my ward come home and they put him in the, in the priest quorum, right where I was at. And he's just like, guys, you need to write in your journals every single day. Like, promise me you'll write in your journals every single day. And for whatever reason, I, I really took that to heart. And I, and I was like, I will write in my journal every single night. And so um, I had a journal and I was ready to go. And then my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, she, she bought me six of those big, like eight and a half by 11, like journals. Those like yeah. generic, like, you know, has like journal and gold written yeah, yeah. in the front. I filled up every single one of those. And then an extra one I bought in the MTC. Like I wrote every single day. And, uh, because like, I know my memory is poor compared to others out there. Um, and so I made it, I made an effort. So I, I rarely went to bed at 1030. That was another rule that like, I didn't really follow because I was at my desk writing in my journal. Mm. Um, but now looking back, like I was, I was flipping through them, trying to find memories and stuff, um, for the, for this podcast, you know, see if there's something I wanted to bring up. And I just, find myself so grateful. That's awesome. Um, that have it. Now the problem I run into is like, I have so many entries. It's hard for me to find a specific. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a, I'm a developer. I'm a software developer. So I real, I built a, an app and I'm starting to enter all my journal entries into my app so I can quickly search like, Hey, what was this experience with Jimmy? <laughs> Type in Jimmy. And then all the entries. With oh, Jimmy that's cool. Up. It's kind of cool. Awesome. So, and you brought up, and I think this is another unique thing about you that you and Zach, you have the shared thing that you dated someone before your mission. They waited for you. I don't know if my wife home. waited for me, but she was available when I came home. Well, <laughs> for Christian, you came home and you married the girl that waited. I married the girl. I waited for my wife. Oh, really? she served too. She served That's a mission. Awesome. I didn't and know you that. Guys, you guys this, might need to get her in here. She this served was before in Palmyra. The, the before the oh, age yeah. Dude, that, was it the church? She was historical. She was at the sites and she also had like, she was proselyting as well, but she was at like the Hill Camorra, the Joseph Smith. That, that's awesome. Yeah, let's definitely get her in here. Um, But yeah, so so she she was a year older than me in school. She graduated in 09, I graduated in 10. Um, so I left on my mission in 11 and... Uh, <laughs> you know, we have that, we have that talk like, Hey, you know, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, uh, uh, like if you find someone better, like, I'll be like, I want you to marry them da, 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 da. up in my head, in my heart. I'm like, no, one of your questionnaires, like in, in uh, preparing for this, you're like, you know what, were you ever depressed? I struggled <laughs> at the very beginning of my mission, just thinking like I might lose Alex. Cause I, it's tough. this is, this is a mission podcast, but like, I, I loved her. Right. Yeah. And I recognize that. And I was really scared. Um, and then like in October, she's like, there was, there was a, some, we had a general conference and she was really inspired by a talk or maybe by the conference in general. And just, she had this feeling to serve a mission. She tried to, uh, um, to hide it, to so suppress it, but it was just so strong. And then, uh, yeah, she decided to, she decided to go. So the way timing worked out, she left in like April. Um, and so that meant I came home in June, 2013. She came home in September. So I waited for her for a little bit. Didn't go to singles ward, didn't date a single person. It's <laughs> like, I'm going to be... I'm going to be, I'm going to be true and true. Having a wife who served a mission is, um, great blessing. 
<laughs> it is. And you Jordan's have, wife served a mission too. You have experiences that are just kind of hard for other people to understand. Um, that are shared. Yeah. And like, she, she knows what it's like to be on a mission. She knows what it's like to work with struggling investigators. She knows what it's like to be with someone who like the light bulb finally kicks in and, and turns on and they, like you see like the faith in Christ actually grow. It's just these things that are really hard to explain to, to other people. It's neat knowing that we have both experienced that. And so we have these really neat conversations about, uh, about our missions and we just understand each other. I saw a statistic a while ago where it said like the national average for divorce was, you know, so like 50% or something. And then it was a little bit lower for members of the church. Um, and then it was even like way lower than that for members of the church where both spouses had served a mission, which I thought was probably really cool to see. They're used to tough companionships. (laughs) Really though, it gives you like some resilience. Yeah. Yeah, she, she, she's, yeah. She has a lot of patience with me and I'm grateful for that. Reflecting back on your mission, what, like, what do you miss the most? (laughs) I, (laughs) on a less, uh, like serious note, I miss sticking out. (laughs) Like I was the center of attention. Right. And that, that sounds so selfish, but one of my favorite things on the mission was walking down streets and having dozens of little kids just like following you. <laughs> yeah. I want to touch my arm hair. Right? I want to touch my head. Cause usually we had like, we would just get like a buzzer and number two and just like, just cut uh-huh. the hair. So like really short, like kind of pokey hair. Um, they just wanted to be next to the moon deli, like the, the white boy that's a, in their patois. Um, I miss that. I miss people like looking at me like, who, what is this white boy doing over here? Um, <laughs> another, on a more serious note, I miss being around people who, can find joy in the simplest of things. Um, there's always, you know, numbers out there or missionaries talking about like, Oh, I served in the highest baptizing mission or I served in, you know, the lowest income country. I don't, I don't care about any of that. I served in a mission where I saw a lot of both. Um, but what was just sad or what was crazy was in the Congo seeing that poverty and, um, these were still the happiest people I feel like I've ever seen. They're making less than a hundred dollars a year and they're smiling, wearing their dirty white shirts and beautiful dirty dresses, you know, cause they've walked five miles to go to church and they're just happy. It's like how <laughs> salt of the earth. My church is like, you know, I could throw a baseball you know, <laughs> yeah. in the backyard. And it's just right there. But like, would I walk to church? Uh, honestly, yeah, I probably, probably would walk to church, but like, there's so many people that, uh, they take advantage of the, the simplest, the, the simple, the simple, the simple life that America affords us. Yeah. Um, being out there with this reality just slapped me across the face when I realized how little they have yet. They were just always smiling. You know, they're out there working, trying to, you know, fix up their little house or shack or plant their little, you know, four foot garden, but like happy. Mm-hmm. Now I miss, I miss that. Again, looking back, what, what's something that you learned about yourself after the two years? Something you didn't know about yourself before? Um, I can work hard. Growing up, I was, uh, <laughs> I think my, my parents would kind of joke around with me, but I'd be kind of lazy. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to mow, I didn't want to mow the yard. I didn't want to do my chores. I didn't want to. Uh, you know, if I, I, my first job was working over at pirates fish and chips. Nice. Um, but money that came in, like there was a hole in my pocket, right? It would just, <laughs> fall through. like I couldn't, I lived to spend and that's it. Like if I had to do chores for nothing around the house, like I didn't want to do it. Um, on my mission, I discovered that there's, there's joy in hard work. It, it was kind of hard to learn that. Um, but, uh, I felt myself just I, I wanting to be up earlier. I wanted to find myself doing a more thorough study in the book of Mormon. I wanted to put in more of an effort because I saw more fruit, um, coming out of that effort. And so I've kind of, I try to live by that now. Um, just make sacrifices to, to work harder and, you know, provide a better life for my family, um, grow my testimony. So if that means waking up earlier so I can do a better study in my scriptures, I'm not perfect with that, but I, I strive to, 
Um, but just not being scared to work hard. I, I, I found that. And I, there's a lot of value in just biting the bullet and getting to it. Nice. What, and kind of wrapping up, what, why should anyone consider going on a mission? Um, I don't think the mission was my best two years that I will have, but I do feel like it was the best two years I like for my life at that time. Um, it, it, because of my mission, I found my testimony. I found my desire to follow my savior. I found my desire to read the book of Mormon for myself. Um, and I feel like any missionary could and should find that no matter where you go, whether it's, you know, to the Baltics where, you know, there are, or to somewhere in Europe where it's just, it's hard, or you go to somewhere in South America or Africa where, you know, it's, it could be easier. Um, I feel like the most important thing is you and your relationship with your heavenly father and savior and, and growing that. And the mission is like the prime spot for that to happen. And I think that's why there's such a huge push for, um, for young men to go. And it's neat that the church has allowed younger women to go and making it easier for them to go out and experience those same things. Like I'm, I'm so grateful that Alex and I both share just these, these powerful, you know, experiences, what, what these missions were to us. Um, so I, I encourage people just cause I see the change that happened in my life. And I, I would love for them to see that in regards to their testimony and their relationship with the gospel. Of course, along the way you make friends, you meet people. Um, and that, that happens naturally, but the work I think comes in with, with your attitude and your, your principles towards the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. Christian, thanks again for, for coming in, um, wrapping up. Would you mind sharing your, your testimony and, and your mission language? Okay. Bear with me and those who speak French. Uh, <laughs> Pardonnez-moi. Okay. Je suis reconnaissant d'avoir servi mon mission au Congo. Je sais que l'évangile de Jésus-Christ est vrai et que nous pouvons vivre éternellement avec notre Père Céleste et notre Sauveur Jésus-Christ. Je suis euh, reconnaissant d'avoir mon témoignage. Je sais que Jésus-Christ est vrai, qu'il vit aujourd'hui. Je sais que je peux vivre éternellement avec ma famille, ma femme, mes enfants. Euh, je sais que les, les alliances que nous, euh, nous faisons au temple sont vraies. Et... Euh, Je sais que l'expiation de Jésus-Christ est, euh, est vraie aussi et que nous, euh, à travers l'expiation, nous pouvons recevoir euh, le pardon de, de notre Père Céleste afin que nous puissions euh, être purs. Et, euh, oui, je suis, <rire> je suis reconnaissant. Je suis fier d'être membre de l'Église de Jésus-Christ des Saints des derniers jours et euh, j'y serai toujours. Et euh, au nom de Jésus-Christ, Amen. 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 Christian, thanks again for coming in. And Scott, thanks for <laughs> thanks for bringing in and, and joining us. And we always love to have you guys come back. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate awesome it, guys. It's a neat thing that you guys do here. I was really excited to to participate and uh, share my little my story. I always look forward to sharing. Yeah. Talk, you talk. Hey, back on my mission. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, Anyways. Zach, where can they find us? Uh, Herebycall.com. And on Instagram, it is actually herebycall.com all spelt out. We've been posting on Instagram. Um, and uh, yeah, Facebook as well. iTunes, Spotify, all of the above. So we've been getting a lot of good uh, listens and a lot of good reviews. So we appreciate it and uh, keep them coming. Yep. We'll wrap this up and we'll post this on Sunday. Thank you. Mm-hmm.